Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone today. I am surprised you came back <laughs> after last Sunday, especially the men, and you would come back today. Um, we're in First Peter chapter 3, and we open God's Word at this time to see what God has to say. Let's uh, read the verse we're going to consider today. You husbands, verse 7 of First Peter chapter 3, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. This verse and the passage we looked back like out, excuse me, at last week, verses 1 through 6, which was directed to wives, is connected to a bigger section that began back in chapter 2, verse 12, of how we are to live our lives as examples to unbelievers around us. It deals with suffering unjustly in this world at the unjust hands of government, the unjust hands of an employer. Christ is our example, he says in chapter 2, of a just man who suffered unjustly. He is our example of how we are to respond to unjust treatment. We're to always remember that the world is our mission field and that we are to be examples of Christ-likeness that we might reach them. He chooses the most vulnerable, probably, of society. When he talked about women last week, they were very vulnerable in terms of what they had to deal with, and that's this Greco-Roman society. Their husbands made all the decisions. Their husbands could decide where they worshiped. Their husbands could decide everything they did. And their husbands basically ruled. And so how was a wife, a Christian wife, to respond to the unjust treatment of her husband? And Peter lays out a strategy for women. That's what those first six verses are. She is to reach him by her life. She is to reach him not so much by her words, but the character of her life, the example that she is before her husband. She's not to fear, he says at the end of those verses, not to fear, uh, but to have faith that God is in control, that God, she is precious in God's sight. She is valuable to God. Certainly want to make it clear that I do not believe that any woman should be in a situation where she is being physically abused. Understand that. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about an, a strategy for evangelism, a strategy to reach your disobedient or unsa- disobedient to Christ, or a, maybe a Christian or unsaved husband. We saw that in verses one through six. And in the same way, we come now to verse 7, and maybe you're a husband that has a disobedient or unsaved wife. And he gives also the strategy for reaching her as well. And I went on to say that I think that since if this is how a Christian woman is to to treat her unsaved or disobedient husband, then this is the way a Christian woman should treat her Christian husband as well. And I would say the same about the passage this morning in verse 7. Though the context seems to be that that we're talking about an unsaved spouse, a husband with an unsaved spouse, if this is the way he is to treat an unsaved spouse or a disobedient spouse, then it's also, I would say, is the way a Christian husband should treat his Christian wife as well. I don't see any difference in, in what the strategy is in terms of how a wife should conduct herself and what verse 7 says, a husband should conduct himself. And so understand the context. Um, You're going to suffer unjustly in this world. You're going to suffer unjustly from government. We are to submit. We're going to um, suffer unjustly to, in our employer situation, in their context, it was slaves. You're going to suffer unjustly. Um, And a wife could suffer unjustly. A husband could suffer unjustly. And the strategy has been laid out for us here. We are to submit to one another. I don't think the husband is called to submit to the wife as her leader, as his leader, but he is to submit to her in the way he treats her. And I'll show you that as we go through this. 
One thing I thought about last week and mentioned to you last time was that there is disillusionment, disillusionment in marriage at times. I think marriage is designed that way because everybody goes into marriage with expectations. Everybody goes into marriage that they're going to marry the right person and this person is going to live up to certain expectations that they have. And I told you that I think that you start to find out pretty quick, you get disillusioned. And I think God has designed it that way that he will not allow us to find fulfillment, as I mentioned last time, fulfillment in another person. He will not allow himself to be replaced with another person in our lives. He wants all of our fulfillment to come from him. There's a book that was written by Gary Thomas, Sacred Marriage. Uh, he's got a devotional also as, as well. And he, the subtitle is incredible. The subtitle says this, what if God created marriage not to make you happy, but to make you holy? That's worth the whole book right there, that one statement. Marriage is not about making us happy. It's to make us holy. It's a sanctifying relationship. It's to make us more conformed to the image of Christ. And the pressures of marriage and the difficulties of marriage have that as the goal to make us more like Jesus. Because marriage is a self-denial event, constantly dying to myself and what I want and what I expect. He has a quote here um, on this idea of disillusionment. He says, I will go out on a limb, this is a quote, I will go out on a limb and claim that it is somewhat healthy to feel a little bit of disillusionment in your marriage because it is at that point you will need to look to God for your highest joy. You may feel tempted to respond to the disillusionment by looking for another spouse who promises to fulfill you more, but eventually you would discover that while she has strengths your spouse lacks, she was missing some of your spouse's better qualities. Life with that new person would inevitably bring its own disillusionment till one day you would wake up to the fact that your soul's happiness really does depend on a holy, perfect God and not another sinful human being. He goes on to say, so if your spouse has disappointed and continues to disappoint you, thank God you are in a great place. You are at the doorway of disillusionment to learn to let go of the expectations that you have created and fall into the arms of the Creator. Isn't that good? That's a good statement. A good statement. A good reminder that no one is ever going to love us like Jesus. No one is ever going to be concerned for our, our true good, uh, true best um, what we need the most and can meet those needs like Jesus. Gets our eyes off the per other person and gets our eyes on Christ and not to trust another sinner like yourself to provide that fulfillment. Ephesians 5, turn there, hold your hand in 1 Peter, we'll come back, of course, but in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 is a passage about being filled with the Spirit. When I say filled with the Spirit, I'm not talking about wild ecstatic experiences. I'm talking about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. I'm about being controlled by and empowered by the Spirit to be obedient to the Word. person is filled with the Spirit, we're told in Ephesians 5 that there's songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And then we come down to verse 22 and we see that the spirit-filled man or husband will do the following. If you are filled with the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is controlling you as opposed to the flesh controlling you, if the Spirit of God is controlling you, notice what verse 22 says, this is what a Spirit-filled, excuse me, Spirit-filled man and woman looks like. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. The husband is the head of the wife. He's the head of the home. 
Ephesians 5.25, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. And he tells you the extent of this love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just, just to expand on that a little bit, think about Christ's love for the church. The church, that's us. Imperfect sinners, that's us. Uh, he instructs us. He saved us. He showed us mercy. He has forgiven us. He empowers us. He changes us. He loves us unconditionally. If you need a model, man, see, here's a problem, man. We don't have many models. We're living in a world where men are mocked on television. The dumb man, the dumb dad, the, the disconnected dad, the dad that's passive, the dad that's just not engaged in anything. Or you got the other extreme that nobody can live up to. So you need a model, men. I need a model. Who do I look to? Who do I look to? Most of us weren't taught. I got Christ. And I can never exhaust this verse. I can never exhaust what it says here. It's, it's about the gospel. You tell me when there's conflicts and difficulties in a marriage, I'll tell you the reason is because they're not applying the gospel to their marriage anymore. They're not. They're not applying the gospel to their marriage. It's all about forgiveness and unconditional love. It's not being applied to the marriage anymore. It's all about not self-denial. It's all about what I want. And everybody gets in their corner and it becomes tit for tat. It becomes, he did this, she did that. It becomes, what's the word? Quid pro quo? Is that the word? Yeah, that's the word nowadays. Or at least in politics, it was the word, I guess, for a while. But the point is, it becomes like that. The, the, the verse becomes, what you do to me, I will do unto you. That's not the model of this verse. That that will continue. Everybody will be in their corner until somebody breaks the cycle of that back and forth. Somebody breaks the cycle and says, hey, I am going to love you like Christ loves the church. I'm going to love you sacrificially. I don't care what you've said to me. I don't care what you've done to me. I am going to love you anyway. That is applying the gospel. And I, and I say to you, somebody has to break that cycle in the marriage or it goes nowhere. It's just a matter of living under the same roof at war with one another. Men, you need a model. You take the initiative in this. You take the initiative as Christ took the initiative. And you say, Every, I said, you know, just take the list that you've got in your head, put it on a piece of paper, and tear it up. And say, I forgive. Because I have been forgiven for a lot more than this. And move towards your spouse with that kind of love. That's applying the gospel to your marriage. And until somebody does that, you just stay in your corners Stay in your corners, gather allies, build your case, and destroy the family. Satan wants this. Satan wants this. He started in the garden. Started in the garden. And you see, you can trace, I don't have time to do this. I thought about doing it, but I don't have time to do it. Going through Genesis, I can just trace for you. Never have to get out of the book of Genesis the effects of sin on the marriage, on the family, and rape, and incest, and polygamy, and everything that resulted from the fall. Satan wanted to take that very single unit that God established because he knew he could destroy society and destroy the church and destroy everything when he can get a hold of a family and destroy that relationship. John MacArthur says this, the spirit-filled husband loves his wife not because of what she can do for him, but what he can do for her. That is the spirit-filled husband. 
Jay Adams says this, listen to this. When a man says there is no love left in his marriage, the wise counselor says to him, well, sir, that's primarily your fault. Too many men think that, husbands think that like a lifeboat, love is just something that women and children do. But regardless of these things, there are some things that husbands are commanded to do. And there are questions, and the question this morning is how do you do that? And Peter lays out some things here for us, and I just want to take some time this morning. You see, what we do is we respond with evil, evil with evil, when we get in these conflicts, and uh, we overcome evil with good by applying the gospel. That's what Jesus did in my life and yours. He applied the gospel to me and forgave me and gave me a relationship with the living living God. So Peter gives some instruction here to husbands. I'll tell you men, I do not know of any other verse in the Bible that I have gone to in my 40 plus years of marriage to Anne. When we've had issues in our marriage, I can tell you the biggest reason we are having the issues we are having is because I have violated something in this verse. One verse, just this one verse. I can look at it and I can say, yeah, that's what you're doing wrong. I can trace it all the way back to not applying what this verse is teaching. I get too busy, too comfortable, and neglectful. I'm going to say some things this morning that I know women are going to take a lot of notes, my wife included. <laughs> and I don't claim to be, have mastered any of them. I'm 68 years old now. I am still learning. Anne says to me sometimes, how old are you? How long have you been married? And you're still just getting this? She's right. She's right. She's exactly right. And if you're single this morning and you're thinking, well, I'm just going to kick back. I am not married. I, I don't really need this sermon. I just want to tell you this. There, this is the kind of man that I believe God wants all men to be, especially in relationship to women. There's nothing miraculous about saying, I do. You don't say, I do, and all of a sudden become like this. There's nothing miraculous about kissing your bride and being transformed into some Prince Charming. That doesn't just happen. And you start now. You just start now, becoming the man that God calls us to become. You, you husbands live, with, live in the, you husbands in the same way. In the same way, it just ties me back to the theme that we have talked about earlier, the same theme of submission, the same theme of dealing with unjust suffering. And now we go from the wives to the husbands. So he's going to admonish them, basically. Your wives are, your wives are in a vulnerable position. They're, they're submitting to you, gentlemen. They're submitting to you. They're, that is not, you don't have any right to command them to do that. That is something they must willingly do, but they are putting themselves in a vulnerable situation and you do not want to abuse that. You do not want to be harsh with that position she has placed herself in. That's how we left off with verse 6. It's a scary thing, it said to us at the end of verse 6, for a woman to do that. Can you blame her? That's scary. It takes a lot of faith to believe that God's word is true and that this is the best thing for her to do and the right thing for her to do. And so, Ephesians 5.21 says, we all are to be in subjection to one another. All of us are to submit to one another. As I said before, I don't submit to my wife as my leader. That's not what we're talking about here. I just consider myself subordinate to her desires and her interests. That's what this verse is going to unpack for us. You submit to Christ and then you love your wives. 
Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. This was the same attitude that Christ had. It's very helpful. That's a very helpful verse because as men, we are very selfish. As men, we are very self-absorbed. We are self-centered, and we are oblivious to what our wives want. That is our natural bent. That is our natural bent. And so you got verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3 staring you in the face. There's no excuse just to be the, the clueless guy anymore. I'm clueless. What do you want? Peter says, this is what she wants. This is what she needs from you. Oh no, she's looking to Christ. There's a spirit of disillusionment. You're not going to fulfill every longing of her heart. That's not your job. You can't be God to her. You can't do what only Christ can do for her. But there are some things he wants you to do. In the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Sounds like a command. It's not. It's a present active participle. This is something you are to be doing continually. You are to continually be making a home for your wife. That's the idea of it. You're to live with her in an understanding way. It's interesting. It's interesting that wives are never told to understand their husbands. And I think the reason is is because they already do. They already do. They, they, They are more observant than we are. They are constantly watching us and weighing data. And they're looking at details and all of those things. Men just walk in the door and say, what's for dinner? But for them, it's more details. And we have to do what's not natural for us. So, he says, there are differences between men and women, and we have to understand, live with them in an understanding way. He does not say to understand all women. No, just the one. Just one. Don't worry about it. That could be overwhelming, but just one. Your wife. There's a lot of jokes about that. No doubt about it. How do you understand a woman? It's, it's, you live with her in an understanding way. She's different than you, so this is required. And we live with them by being sympathetic and empathetic, and we'll see that in just a minute. You know, sometimes your wife cries. You know, sometimes she cries. And you walk in the room and she's crying or she's sitting out and she's just crying. And your immediate thought is, what did I do? What did I do? And you might start asking that question or something. What did I do? Or then I start thinking, no, I didn't do anything. I go through the list. You know, I didn't, I, and, then, and then I say, maybe somebody did something to her. And then... I'll I'll fix it. Just tell me what they did. I'll fix it. And keep pressing on it, and pretty soon she starts saying, I don't know why I am crying, and please stop asking me, and please don't try to fix anything. I just feel like crying. (laughs) I don't get that. But motion builds up. Emotion builds up. And all she needs is your understanding. There's nothing to fix. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Nothing to fix. And you're crying. He says, live with your wife in an understanding way actually means according to knowledge. It's the word for knowledge. And it's the idea of you want to accumulate knowledge about your wife. That's the point there and uh, you want to do it in two ways there's a general knowledge that you want to have you want to have an understanding of a biblical understanding of what marriage is I think it would be good for you if you have not ever done that to take some time to get sacred marriage or some other books or or to listen to sermons or whatever on the purpose of marriage if you haven't done that the biblical roles of husband and wife in marriage how to communicate in a godly way in marriage how to handle conflict in marriage the biblical principles of sex in marriage parenting divorce and remarriage i think it would be good to have that general knowledge about your marriage if you haven't had that some couples don't go through pre- premarital counseling but 
in premarital counseling, we try to do that. We try to provide all of that. So you have a general knowledge, a biblical knowledge of marriage. And there's lots of sermons, lots of books. We have books in our library. Um, you don't want to go to the world's books. This is the problem. Many people go to the world's books. And I want to tell you something. Deceptive philosophies. Get, you, get yourself into a book that's rooted in the Scripture. You want God's wisdom. The world does not get this yet. That should be pretty obvious. 50% of the people are just living together without the commitment and covenant of marriage. They don't get it. It's very difficult. It takes God's grace. But then the other kind of knowledge is a specific knowledge. This is knowledge about your wife. Intimate details of her life. What makes her tick? What scares her? What irritates her? What frustrates her? How she responds to things, her moods, her temptations, her likes and her dislikes. What makes her feel loved and what makes her not feel loved. And, and, and if you're going to grow in a knowledge of your wife, we have to be a student of our wife. Understanding way. Knowledge. I have to accumulate knowledge about her. Listen to them. Learn to read them so that I can be more sensitive to her. And this takes time. You have to be around her. You have to be with her. You may have to come home from work sometime earlier. You may have to turn off the TV. You may have to put down your cell phone so she'll be aware that you care more about her world than what's going on in the rest of the world. But you've got to communicate it. (laughs) These are not easy things, gentlemen. I know. (laughs) I know. And I'm a fact person. I like facts. I like to talk about facts. I, I just, just tell me the facts. Uh, just give me a summary. You know, uh, a wife does not want to just settle for a summary. She wants to give you the whole story. She wants to give you the whole story. Women are, are more feeling and more detail-minded. And, and when you're talking to guys and you say, how you doing? Good. And that's a legitimate answer. For men, good. But that won't settle for a wife. What did you do today? And how did that make you feel? That's more how she thinks. It's a scary question. How did that make you feel? If you're planning to watch a show in 10 minutes on TV, you're going to miss the show. Because she, you've opened the door for her to tell you that, and you need to listen to that. So anyway, just things like that. She could be sad or lonely or scared or upset. I mean, most men don't have a clue. Just walk past all of that. And when she tries to tell you how she feels, you've got to really be careful how you respond because you don't want to shut her down. You don't want to make it sound like you're disinterested or you don't want to make it sound like you're frustrated because she told you that. This is a fr- problem I have it sometimes. I express frust- frustration because I can't fix it mostly. But... Generally, we just want, it's an inconvenience. Saying you're going to fix something is just a way of saying, let's get this done and over with. It's not letting her take any time to talk about how she feels about it. That's prideful. That's just self-serving. If you've been married for some time, you know that when your wife <clears throat> will sometimes say, say something that sounds like a question, it sounds like a question, but it's not a question because she's not looking for an answer and she's not looking for a solution. She just wants to know you care. She, you care about them. And whatever it is, she just wants to know you care. Here's your homework assignment, gentlemen and ladies. There's a YouTube called It's not about the nail. Have you seen that? It's not about the nail. One minute and 46 seconds long, and it's a great description of what I'm talking about. It's not about the nail. It's humorous, but it really says what we're saying here. 
If you're going to experience her world, this is another part of gathering and accumulating information and understanding about her. Uh, Take care of the kids. Do things she does. Do her task. Things she's concerned about. Just do those things. Making dinner, changing diapers. Keep in mind that when you stood at the altar and married your wife or when she stood at the altar and married you, she married several persons. She married the person you were then, the person you would be a year from now, and the person you're going to be many years from now. That's what she married. So just like you have phases in your life and changes in your life, she's going to have changes in her life. She's going to have all kinds of things going on, just like you're going to have all kinds of things going on. Hormones and things like that that can cause a woman to feel, be fearful and afraid and insecure and vulnerable. Just physiological challenges. And men face them too. She thinks differently about physical affection and intimacy. Perhaps you're not an affectionate husband, but understand that your wife thrives on that. She thrives on physical affection and just being a good listener. She knows when you're pretending to listen because you just nod at the right time or you give the right expression and you have no idea what she's talking about. She knows. She knows. Well, she's not dumb. She knows. She knows you're thinking about sports or work or something else when she's trying to tell you something. And you better be careful because at some point she may just stop talking to you. She just may stop talking to you. She, she wants your full attention about something that may not be important to you at all, but it's important to her. This, my friends, is what self-denial is. This is what sacrificial love is. If you need illustrations of it, that's what I'm trying to give you, not just for you, myself as well. Do you know how she is doing spiritually? Do you know what she's ministry she's involved in? Do you know how she is relating to her parents and her in-laws and, and her children and her dreams and her hopes It's a terrible thing to feel isolated in your marriage. It's horrible. But that's how you can make her feel when you don't engage in what's important to her. Good listening is when you're telling, you're letting somebody know that you value their opinion just as a powerful way to demonstrate love. I think you should also, in communication, practice using ego-crushing words. It's like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you implies you did something for me that I needed. Just say thank you. Thank you for fixing my dinner. Thank you for fixing my lunch. Thank you for washing my clothes. Thank you for whatever she does for you. Thank you. Or imagine this. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? That's ego crushing. The admission that I sinned against you. The admission that I did something wrong. Or, I am so glad that God gave you to me as my wife. Hard words to get out of our mouths. And our, uh, if you're going to have a marriage that mirrors the gospel, then you've got to sacrificially love her. If you're going to have a marriage that puts Christ on display, puts the gospel on display, and puts the world, lets the world see the transforming power of God's grace in your life and her life, then you've got to realize he does it through the marriage. He can do it through your marriage. It goes on to say, she is someone, as someone who is weaker, verse 7, is someone who is weaker. It's not saying she's inferior. It's a, a comparative term. It means you're weak, she's weaker. That's all it means. She's weaker than you are. Men are generally stronger. However, if you watch the Olympics, there are probably some women that can beat you up, right? Yeah. But men are made by God to be stronger. You put 10 men on one side of a, a tug of war and 10 women on the other side, the men will most likely win. 
when we're asleep at night and all of a sudden we hear a noise in the house, I don't say, hey, Ann, why don't you go check that out? <laughs> There's a, the gun, you know where the gun is, and the baseball bat in the hallway. You try that, the baseball bat will probably be used on somebody besides the burglar. <laughs> or we're on the highway and we have a flat tire. I don't say, well, Ann, I want to sit back and check my emails and send a text or two, could you change that tire? We'd still be on the side of the interstate. I'm just saying, men, that's just a strength thing for, both, uh, for us. We get out and do it. When we get hurt, maybe we get electrocuted, we say, I'm good. When a wife gets hurt, she's going to say, ouch, and you might want to ask her, are you okay? Because she'll be more hurt if you don't care. She's just more sensitive and gets deeply hurt by things, especially an insensitive husband. Some men think that flowers and cards will fix everything. And I venture to say that he doesn't even know if you're allergic to flowers or hate chocolate. (laughs) He just assumes that's what fixes everything because he saw that somewhere. He says, because she is a woman. You notice that in um, verse 7, since she is a woman, she is the feminine one. It means that she is the more delicate one. That's what that means. Um, She is, you don't treat her like you treat your male friends. Um, she is, she compel us to be more tender. She, she's like a fine piece of china. Uh, where our tendency is to be a bull in a china shop, whether she is a fine piece of china, like a vase on a mantle. You've heard, you've heard it said, I heard someone author say this, you've heard it said that men need to be uh, uh, in touch or they need to track with their feminine side. I think that's crazy. But the point is, you've heard that statement said, but there is truth in it. You do need to track with your feminine side. It's called your wife. You do need to track with her. And what she is going through as a weaker vessel that is fragile. And he doesn't mean to demean her in any way, but she is to be regarded as valuable and to be treated that way. And like I said before, she is vulnerable in her role of submission, and that can be exploited so easily. Some men exploit that, and you are not, we are commanded not to, to do that. When she makes the decision to marry you, she is saying, I will submit to you. She willfully puts herself under your authority and you're never to abuse that authority. She is delicate, she is feminine, she is, requires special handling. Real men don't take advantage of their wife that way. Real, real men don't abuse their wives. And I'll say this too, I believe that she is also weaker theologically And let me explain that before I get a lot of reaction here. But she is weaker theologically in the sense that she, because she is more emotional, she can sometimes be um, controlled by feelings. What a text might feel rather than what it actually says. I think women can sometimes be prone to that a little more so than men. The Bible does teach that a woman can be deceived. Uh, And that's one of the reasons Paul says, if you want to turn there with me, to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. One of the reasons Paul says a woman should not assume the teaching role, like I'm standing up here doing this morning, the teaching role in the church he says in 1 Timothy 2:11 a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness but i do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet for it was adam who was first created and then eve 
And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. False teachers love to deceive women. They really do. They know they can get them somehow through television, whatever, they come into the home with a very feel-good or emotional appeal. And sometimes a woman, I'm, not, I'm, I'm speaking in general terms here. I realize this is different in different ways. But the point is, I think there is a tendency at times and can be, if not careful, toward deception. Look at 2 Timothy while you're in 1 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. For among them are those who enter into households, these are the false teachers, and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. I'm just saying feelings and emotions, because God has put it together that way, um, can sometimes require that a husband shepherd his wife and help her in understanding truth. It's not to say your wife cannot have a lot of Bible knowledge and know, have a, know a lot of theology. It's not, I'm not saying that at all. My wife has been teaching inductive Bible study at Grace Church for almost 30 years. She has taught every single book of the Bible. I have seen her study week after week to prepare for those classes. My wife knows the Bible. My wife, sometimes she'll get in a conversation and she'll cite some text, obscure text in the Old Testament, and I'm thinking, yeah. I have to run to my room office and find out where that is. I never, I don't remember that. She just knows the Bible so well. And there's a lot of women like that. She's not the only one. There's a lot of women like that. But she would agree with me. She would agree with me that the danger sometimes is that women can be deceived. And it's important for a husband to shepherd her. And then that requires you to know something about what the Bible says or to at least know where to find out to help her. Heresies can get into a church through different avenues. And so we always have to look to God's word and be shepherding and, and guarding the Bible study materials, all those kinds of things that are written for women. A lot of times are very difficult to find good ones because they're so much based on emotion and feeling and not really what the text says but what somebody feels it's like it's saying to them, not what it actually says. I just give that warning because that's happened in a lot of places. And so, that's the way God made them. And that's why he needs to give them, gives them husbands to shepherd them in that area or elders in the church to help shepherd them. I appreciate the women in this church who come to the elders regularly with questions and am I on the right track with this? Is this the right way to go on this? I like to start this or I like to do this ministry or whatever just to help give guidance in those things. Godly women who know the word but they want to make sure they're under the authority of the elders and of their husbands. And we need to prize our wife. Notice in verse 7, back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You want to let her know that she's more important to you than anything or anyone else. You want to make sure she knows she's more important than your job, your friends, your hobbies. You want to cherish her. Uh, the reality is most, for us as men, we would not be married if we never had, at least not treat our wife like that at one time in our lives when we got married. We cherished them then. And so we need to cherish them as we continue in marriage. Overlook faults and flaws and don't demand perfection because you can't deliver perfection either. If you can't deliver it, then why would you demand it of somebody else? If you can't live up to the law this law of rules that you have created for somebody, why would you try to impose that on another person? That is something we all do in marriage. I've got these expectations, I've got these rules that 
I think a good husband should be, a good wife should be, and you're not living up to it. If you can't live up to the perfection that you are demanding, why in the world would you demand it of your spouse? And don't lust after other women. And don't carry on online conversations with other women. You don't want your wife doing that. Why would you do that? Don't flirt with other women. Compliment her on how she looks and tell her what you appreciate about her. It's very rare in our culture for men to open doors for women anymore. That used to be what we did. It's very rare in our culture for men to offer a seat to a woman who's having to stand. Those are rare things. Now it's women are just sex objects. That's how our culture projects them. That's not honoring women. That's abusing women. Absolutely abusing women. Treating them like that. I get it, some women don't want you to do anything for them. I get it, those women are out there for sure. But we must be different, gentlemen, we must be different. We must show the world that the gospel does transform. And a selfish man like me can be transformed by the gospel to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. That is not, that is not just difficult, that's impossible. That's impossible without the grace of God working in me. I'm to respect not just my wife, but all women, all women. Show honor and dignity to all women. And so the young women in this church, because of this culture we live in, just watch how this man that you're interested in, watch how he treats other women. Watch how he talks about his mom and treats his mother. And uh, just too many men are self-absorbed and self-centered and passive and just need to watch a potential husband, how he treats other women, other ladies. What entertainment does he indulge in? Um, He can put on a show in public because he wants to seal the deal with you. But ask more questions. How does he interact? How he interacts with women is an indication of how he will treat you in marriage. Peter says the reason you do that is because he's a fellow heir. If if he's talking about a fellow heir being a Christian, we're fellow heirs in Christ and one day we'll be in heaven together. If he's talking about a fellow heir in that, uh, he he uses the term this grace of life, Say you're married to a non-believer, well, it's not, you're not a fellow heir in that sense, but you're a fellow heir in the sense that in terms of the common grace of marriage, you share in that together. So your prayers will not be hindered. A military term is what they would do is they'd cut down trees and put them across the road to block passage. And that's what you're doing when you do not treat your wife and live with her in an understanding way. Your prayers will be hindered. God is not going to hear. Do not think, do not think that you can just run to God with something and pretend you're right with God when you're not right with your wife. That's what that's saying. When you're not right with your wife, God does not hear your prayers. You can sound as spiritual as you want to. If there's a hurting woman in your life that you have abused, maybe not physically, but in some other way, God does not hear your prayers, gentlemen. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Listen to Matthew 5, 22. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother first. God does not even want your worship if you have an unreconciled relationship. He's not interested in you just going through the motions when there is iniquity in your heart. You are not right with him when you are not right with your wife or someone else for that matter. You think about it this way. That woman is God's daughter. Think about it this way. That woman is God's daughter. 
If you came into the presence of that girl's human father, you walked into a room and that girl's human father was there and you were in his presence, think how terrible you would feel if he knew you were abusing his daughter. You were being, treating her mean, not being sensitive to her. Think about how you would feel. That guy, that dad gave her away. That guy, that dad entrusted you to take care of her. How do you think it's going to go now that you're in his presence and you aren't taking care of her? And that's the same with God. This is God's daughter that you are married to and think how he feels about it when you mistreat her and neglect her. And just decide, decide, I'm not going to love sacrificially. I'm just going to get in my corner, tit for tat, my corner. I'm going to return evil for evil. These two relationships are linked together. My relationship with God, my relationship with my wife. I have seen in my marriage, when I am, Ann and I are having struggles in our marriage, and I'm not relating well to her, I can go back to say, because I'm not relating well to God. That's every time that has been where I have landed throughout we've been married 40-something years. And I can always go back to that. So I need to grow closer to God so I'll have a good marriage relationship. If your marriage is struggling today, I encourage you to start, number one, get a closer relationship to God. Number two, make a list of that, all those little hurts you've got piled up, put them in a bag and burn it, and say, I love you unconditionally as Christ loves me. And move towards your wife. God knows what women want. God knows what women need. And wives want to be pursued, like we've seen in these verses. They want to be prized. If I took a poll of the women today, they would all say, yep, that's correct. That's correct. The psychology is all about men's needs and women's needs, men's wants and women's wants. This isn't about that. When you, when you adopt a philosophy like that, what happens is when your needs aren't met or your wants aren't met, then you just go off and have an affair. Find somebody that will meet those needs. If, that's, if you just live a meet-my-need marriage, because your needs are not going to be met. It's not about demanding something from the other person. It's about giving. And this is impossible. Man, this is impossible. By God's grace, men, and women from last week. We just, man, we want marriages that go against the tide. The world looks at us and says, what's going on with you? Why does your marriage look different than everybody else's? Why does your marriage seem to have something other marriages don't? And that's Jesus. It's only by His grace, men and women. Let me pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, these are hard things to think about. We all fall short. I fall way short. I know, God, that I have not always loved my wife like Christ loves the church. I have not always been sensitive the way you tell me to be. But by God's grace, I know I'm not what I want to be, but I'm thankful that you are still at work in conforming me to the image of Christ. And with these passages like this in front of us, God, may you give all of us as men the courage to be men, not to be passive and clueless, but to be men and seek to be the husbands that God has called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.